love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, what kind of mountain biking uh, adventures have you been up to recently? Or am I off if I'm off base? It feels like we've had a lot of mountain, bike, mountain biking adventures lately in New Hampshire. How are things going? Well, it's been going really fun. So we did, we had, Matt and I had his sister and brother-in-law come visit for Labor Day weekend. And we, we did a fun hike in the White Mountains uh, one of the days. And then the second day, we showed them some of the places that we mountain bike here. And it was it was fun for me because Matt's sister um, is quite a strong athlete. And she hadn't been on a mountain bike much at all. So I got to teach myself, like boost my knowledge by relaying some of what I've learned recently to her, which is like a really good way often to learn kind of those basics by like, you know, instead of having to just like talk myself through it, I could at least talk out loud. And like, she, it was, it was useful, I think for her to be learning some of that, but, um, we had a really fun ride and I had, I've just recently switched for our mountain bike people out there who understand, um, to mountain bike shoes, like specific shoes without, um, clips and so flat pedals. So I'm no longer clipping in to my mountain bike, which is a huge change for someone who has been a triathlete now for so long and used to clipping into my road bike or my tri bike or whatever. Um, and being attached to the bike, but I made the switch to hopefully take a step back, relearn some of the technique that I had learned incorrectly because I was cheating a little bit by being clipped into the mountain bike. And, um, you know, after going to that mountain bike camp the other weekend and seeing, you know, my biggest fear was really that like, if I don't clip in, I'm not going to be able to keep up because that's kind of what could happen on in a road riding situation. And it's very different on the trails. Um, and basically I can't keep up if I don't have the skills and the technique. So I need to do what I need to do to learn that first. And then I can learn, worry about things from there, but it was really fun. We have a great, uh, mountain bike area here that has like a big skills park. And so I was just goofing around on that. And Haley, I was getting like basically lapped by little kids. Um, these little boys and girls on strider bikes. Like there was one place I would not even go. Cause I like mistakenly went down this one kind of shoot. And then I was like, Ooh, these are like the big jumps. Like I'm not going here. So I literally had to like get off and like go through the woods to come back around to where I knew I could handle it. And then I'm watching these kids like go and the, the little kids are like, all right, mom, like see you later. And she's like, no, 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 not that one. And he's like, it's fine. And just like sends it down. And I mean, on Strider bikes, it's, it's super fun to watch. So um, I am, I'm quite grateful to be in a community with places like that. And, um, it's just, it's fun to see the rest of the community getting out there to enjoy it. And, uh, it makes it, it makes it fun for me right now still, but, um, I am seeing progress like that is always fun when you pick up something new. Have you been back out on a road bike or a time trial bike, a triathlon bike and notice any change, any transfer of skills? Are you cornering a little bit better? Are your mounts and dismounts a little bit smoother? So that's a good question. I have, I have yet to ride my time trial bike since Lake Placid, I admit. Um, but I have gotten out on my like road slash gravel bike a little bit. And for sure, some of the skills are helpful. Like I actually was, um, noticing that, and this kind of happened by accident, but I actually like jumped over like a, a sewer grate at one point that, um, you know, I should have in my, in a previous life, I would have probably just like swerved around it or something, but I was like, Oh, I can like jump this. Like I know how to do it. And it just came kind of second nature after doing and you guys not like a big I wasn't like flying but it was like a tiny like inch off the ground to get over that but I, I I knew it was working um I am hoping that the cornering situation will get better and like my u-turns like I'm always Ooh. someone who's always unclipped to do like tight u-turns and stuff so I'm hoping that over time those things but I built um I've been trying to work on that because I'm I'm convinced we should just build a pump like bite the bullet I think I said this last time bite bite the bullet and do a pump track in the backyard. But I did end up building um, like a little skills area with some of this wood I found like in the backyard and in our basement here. Um, I made a little ramp, like a little, little drop ramp and then a little like two by four that you're supposed to like on cinder blocks. So I can hop up on that and try and ride kind of a skinny 
thing. So, cause bridges terrify me still like those wooden bridges that are out in the woods and things. So, um, so it's been fun. Needless to say, that was my, uh, five minute answer to your question of like, yes, I have been out mountain biking. <laughs> enjoying some adventures. I'm glad things are going fun. I had a bit of an adventurous weekend. I actually came back from Europe. I was here for about a day. And then I went to California to visit my mom, my sister. It was my sister's birthday. And um, I don't know if this happens to you, Alyssa, but sometimes when I'm around like people, even when I'm on a little bit of vacation, um, there's a lot of exercise involved. And I do feel like I'm everyone's like exercise friend. But Hannah and I, we... Um, we hiked up to the Hollywood sign, which sounds like so touristy, but it was so fun. <laughs> like I actually really enjoyed it. It wasn't actually that touristy because it's like a fairly long hike. It was like seven miles and we did like the short version and seven miles round trip um, walking. And it's like not all uphill, but it was cool. It felt, it felt touristy. And you know, I, I love California and we did go to the beach and do that stuff too, but it's kind of cool that you can do mountains and beach. I mean, I see why people love it, but I'm back home in Montana now. Um, definitely still dealing with a bit of smoke, but I hope, you know, my thoughts are definitely with everyone around the Lake Tahoe area. Cause I think that's where a lot of the smoke is blowing in from, but uh, I'm happy to be back. I ran yesterday and I could tell I'd been like two weeks away from altitude <laughs> and it's a little bit of a slog, but you know what? That's, that's kind of how things are when you've, I, I, I actually took about a week off after Shamarin just because I felt like I needed a little bit of a, a reset. Um, that had been an adrenaline filled week and I knew I was like, okay, now here comes where we like pay for it. So some beach time, um, Alyssa, I did my first ever soul cycle class. Have you ever done one of those? <laughs> yeah. My sister's a big soul cycler. So when I would visit her, I do soul cycle. Yeah. <laughs> so it was my sister and we went on a birthday. It was actually really nice. They made her like a card, like a birthday card. I see. I do see the, is your sister in LA? No, no, no. She was just there for her birthday. My mom is in LA oh, but, okay. Um, right okay. now she's teaching there, but my sister lives in Texas, but she works remote. And so she was there for her birthday, just kind of celebrate. My sister lives in LA now. What? Maybe you were in my sister's sister LA soul site. Yeah. In New Jersey. What? She, she was, they moved in at the end of the, at the end of kind of COVID winding down a little bit, they moved out to, uh, to California. So they live in Venice now. Yeah. Her, oh, her husband. So she's a regular soul cycler out there now too. We could have been in the same soul cycle class. Um, but it was, it is like fascinating. I mean, it's such different training, obviously, than like even when I do an interval ride. But I do see how it gets you on a bike. It gets you in a community. Um, there was a lot of out of saddle work, out of the saddle work, which I feel like would translate well to like strength cycling. And so I do feel like there is a place for it in triathlon training. Um, a lot of very motivational quotes. <laughs> well, I'm like, if I, this would be hard if I'm like imagining myself as a coach, I'm like, Oh, could I teach a soul cycle class? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I think podcasting would prepare me more for anything because they talk like a lot. It was, I mean, and then it's like, I was very nervous. Like they, she was like calling out some people and she's like, is this your first time? And I was like, don't call on me. Act like this is not your first time. <laughs> That's definitely the worst part or like showing up and trying to like fumble with the bike and the helper comes over to you and she's like, oh, is this your first time on a bike? And you're kind of like, no, but yes. Like <laughs> I was lucky to have Hannah who could like help me set things up and it, yeah, but it was, I mean, it's fun and the music is very, I mean, it is nice to have some like choreographed music, but it was like, she's like, don't hide behind the choreography. And I'm like, oh, don't worry. <laughs> The choreography stuff is not my forte, uh, for sure. And Haley, okay, so you had kind of a whirlwind travel. You just came off of a big race semi-recently. I see something in your glass over there. What are you drinking? Oh, oh, uh, this was on my doorstep when I got home. I got the new Noon Immunity 3. So this is like their new product. And it's, I mean, they had an immunity tablet before, and this is a, it's like a sachet, right? <laughs> like a packet with powder in it, similar to noon instant. And so you just add it to, I think, 16 ounces of water and it is supposed to, you know, it has electrolytes like normal noon, um, has vitamins that will help boost your immunity. And then it also has some prebiotics for good gut health. So this was me first trying it. I think I have the orange uh, mandarin orange flavor. So I'm drinking the mandarin orange flavor. It's good. It's a lot of flavor. And I do think they say like, you know, max two packets a day. So they're like, don't overload your vitamin C, but, um, definitely good, refreshing. And as we, you know, head into the fall, uh, I think the last 
year and a half has taught us anything that health is important. Um, keeping our immune systems healthy is very important. And as we, you know, head into the fall, I, I, that is definitely something I am very conscious of. So I'll be definitely adding some immunity three. I, I don't know if it's like sometimes vitamin C stuff. I don't know if this is like psychological. It probably is kind of keeps me up. So I like to drink it in the morning with coffee. You know, I don't know if that's like, I probably, someone who's done a little bit more research should probably tell me about that. <laughs> Well, probably like the electrolytes, the vitamins, it's all part of like re, you know, and recharging you a little bit. I can see that that just energizes you and gets you started. I like to have, I am trying it as well. I just got some to try um, this past week and I agree. I think it's more, for me, it's like I have my coffee before a workout. If I'm doing like a morning workout, I do my morning workout. I come back and then I like have my like noon immunity or now immunity three adding to the mix. And like you said, I think the immunity three is I have been comparing it in my head. So we had noon sport and then they came out with noon instant, which is like similar. It's in the little packets. It's a powder and noon instant is kind of like the noon, the like mega noon sport for like fast rehydration. You know, you kind of really fallen behind in, in that hydrating and that the noon instant will give you like that fast, like recharged, um, you know, a little bit quicker. It's like just overload with electrolytes. I kind of compare it the noon immunity three to that way with the noon immunity, right? So noon immunity is like your baseline, drink that every day kind of thing. And then if you feel like you've been traveling or maybe around a lot of children that have germs or something like that, and you need like an extra boost, right? Like have the immunity three and that'll like give you kind of that recharge for immunity. So I can, I feel like I can never have too many immunity products, especially now as we are starting to travel a little bit more, I'm going to hopefully get to see more children from my friends and be around them again a little bit more and um, get their germs all over me. But now I'll be prepared with my immunity three. Yes. Um, immunity three paired with some, some hand washing in there as well. Um, and all of our listeners can use the code stay feisty. So it's all one word with a capital S and a capital F at noonlife.com and get 30% off noon immunity three or any of their other great products. And Haley, uh, announcement from this past week. So the Live Feisty Menopause Summit is moved to a virtual only format. So it will be similar to the Women's Performance Summit that happened in March, um, but it will be all focused on menopause, the same virtual platform. So if you joined us for that, um, you know what to expect. But if you didn't, then it was a great virtual platform. So we're excited to bring that to people again. Um it's going to have Rebecca Rush as the opening keynote on Friday, September 24th. So that's super exciting. All scheduled details and registration info is at feistymenopause.com. Okay. And Alyssa, do we have any mailbag questions? I know last week we had a big, big episode and so we didn't have time for any questions. Do we have time for a question this week? Haley, we do. And as a reminder, listeners, you can send your questions in on anything to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. This week's question comes from Kate and Haley, you're going to have to really hold, hold, uh, both of our weight on this question because I'm not going to be able to weigh in too much here. Um, Kate is about to do worlds in St. George, Utah. So congratulations on that qualification, Kate. Um, she's asking for course advice and strategies, um, and then favorite places for coffee to check out. Um, she also, Kate, you also did ask if we're doing any events there race week. We might have someone um, from the Feisty team on the ground there, so stay tuned to the social media for that. Um, Iron Women will not be doing – I would love to do an, a live Iron Women again, Haley. So we're going to have to – now that the world is, is kind of turning, maybe we'll have to pick somewhere and, and try and plan for that. But nothing live with Iron Women. Oh, I know. Towards, but That was fun when we did that. I forgot we did that. <laughs> yeah. That, I know. One um, of these but days. Tell us, tell us about the course, Haley. Tell us about strategies mm -hmm. How, what should Kate be like keeping in her toolbox as she, as she approaches this race? Right. So yes, as Alyssa said, congratulations, Kate. I think if this is your first world championship, I would really make a point to enjoy the whole experience because it is a little bit different than, than your typical 70.3. Um, it will hopefully, you know, be feel bigger, have more of an international flair. Um, but you get to race on, you know, a spectacularly beautiful course with some of the best athletes in the world. And, and it is kind of neat. Everyone's experienced, everyone's qualified to be there and it is a special, special experience. So congratulations. And, you know, take a moment during each of the swim, the bike and the run, I think to just like really appreciate that, that you're there, you're part of it. Um, as far as the specific course, um, 
you know, I think it's a course where patience pays off and it is also a course where, you know, you could be going a, a slower time, but having a great race. So I don't know if I would necessarily use time as a guide, like, uh, you might on a flatter course because it is a challenging course, but, um, you know, so also plan your nutrition to be out there a little bit longer, but I would just, you know, the bike has a lot of hills, you know, it has hills early, but it also has, you know, the large climb up snow Canyon near the end. So I make sure you leave something in the tank for that climb. And remind yourself, you have a non-technical descent back into transition after that. So that's pretty long. So, you know, that gives your legs a pretty good rest before you head out on the run. And the run is hilly. And um, I do believe for 70.3 Worlds, it will be a slightly different course than what we've seen for the traditional 70.3 there. I think it's a two-loop course. So you're going to go up a, a pretty long uphill. You know, you're up on this kind of... Uh, plateau, I guess not plateau. It's still hilly, but, um, you know, up on this bluff and then, and then you're going to have a real steep downhill back into in toward the finish line. And then you're going to do it again. And so just kind of mentally prepare yourself. I mean, I might actually go check out the steep downhill if you can in the days before the race, just so that you are prepared for that. Just making sure that you, um, you know, when I run steep downhills, I think it's like, you know, use your arms, you know, think about trail runners, like how they kind of run it. Alyssa, you could probably chime in on this, but like, I think, you know, use your arms as like balance, lower center of gravity. Um, and you know, slight forward lean, I think helps a little bit and just fast turnover. So you're not like breaking so much, which is going to like make your quads a little bit sore. Um, but I think, you know, it's a spectacularly beautiful course. Um, Alyssa, do you have any steep downhill tips? No, Haley, I was going to say, you're like ready to do, uh, run the run next year because <laughs> that was, you nailed it. You'd like put your arms out a little bit, lean forward, trust yourself and just let that cadence like fly. Um, the breaking is where people go, go awry and the steep downhills. I learned from you. I remember that trail run we did years and years ago. Um, and, uh, and then as far as like coffee and places, you know, I think, um, near the finish line. I think that there is a, what it's feed, feel love cafe. Um, I think it's like two blocks North of the finish line. I have not actually been there, but last time, uh, I know the feisty team did a little meet up there. I didn't quite make it, but I saw it and it looked really cute. And so that would be my, I mean, I don't know if that's how you judge your coffee. Um, I'm not a coffee snob. I will drink brown water. So I don't know if I'm the best person to give coffee advice, but it looked like it had a good vibe. I think it had like an outdoor patio and that's, that's where I would check out. All right. Well, Kate, thanks for the question. Again, people can send mailbag questions into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We'll take, uh, we'll give our, our best to do those, give you some answers for those uh, in the coming weeks. And Haley, we have a really great um, interview coming up for people today. We chatted with Tamara Jewett. And while it might appear to some people that she stormed onto the scene quickly this season with her win at Timberman 70.3, Tamara was actually knocking on the door of those podiums in her rookie pro season in 2019. So we talked to her about how she approached the pandemic year so early in her career, her blazing fast run splits her, with her track and field background, and more on how she approaches her training and the work-life balance. Tamara also discusses her experience with an eating disorder earlier in her career, and while we didn't dig into that too much on the recording, we wanted to share some post-interview thoughts that came from Tamara about one of our questions we asked her about how coaches can manage eating disorders with their athletes. And I wanted to bring this up in the intro, even though it's going to make the intro a little bit longer, but it's in a very, um, you know, well-written insight from Tamara and we appreciate that she sent us this. So I'm going to read you Tamara's words now. In my case, I fully recovered physically and later psychologically. In early undergrad, my coaching staff directed me to help with the physical recovery, mostly focused on seeing sports nutritionists. However, I was extremely resistant to any suggestion that I needed psychological help. I would advise any coach to be very firm on the need for professional psychological support for an athlete exhibiting red flags for disordered eating and possibly even to insist on it as a prerequisite to continuing to compete with a club or a group, especially for younger athletes. It is such a tough, tough position for the coach, and I can attest to how difficult it can be to deal with and help people trapped in that psychology. But my takeaway from my experience was, one, it turned out it was possible to reach a full psychological recovery. I couldn't believe it when I got there, and it is so different and so much happier. And two, I would have gotten there a lot sooner with a lot less disruption to my personal and athletic life if I had accepted professional help. 
Some of the interventions for anorexia feel very harsh to an athlete. A very successful intervention is to enforce temporarily stopping any exercise at all. In my case, one of my injuries, a femoral stress fracture in the neck of her femur, put me on crutches for so long that it effectively mimicked that treatment, and I see that period as the major psychological turning point for me. So we thank Tamara for expanding on this further, as it is always our goal to share the stories in hopes that they may make a difference for someone else. And we have a lot more to come from Tamara up next. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash ironwomen and get started. Haley, it's summertime and racing and traveling is back. Hot temps, race recovery, and mountain adventures is the recipe of my summer, and I am always carrying Noon Instant in my water bottle, hydration pack, and post-race clothes bag. Alyssa, I'm with you, and I'm using Noon Instant as a way to keep reminding my taste buds that we have a little appointment on the Big Island in October that is sure to need all the replenishment of electrolytes, vitamins, and minerals that we can get. You can get your own Noon Instant, Noon Sport, or any of the Noon Hydration Podium Series products at NoonLife.com and use the code LiveFeisty for 30% off. That's NoonLife.com with code LiveFeisty, capital L and capital F. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast, Tamara. Thank you. So we're talking to you just about 10 days or so after your win at Timberman 70.3. So we'll start there with a huge congratulations. Uh, the race is squeezed in between some crazy East Coast weather conditions, but it ended up being a really nice day to race. I was there watching. And the ideal conditions set the stage for a really competitive women's field. And so I'd love to hear kind of how the day unfolded from your perspective. Yeah, the the weather was definitely very worrying looking leading up to the race. And I think like my uh, I did a pre-race ride in really pouring rain and was worried that that would be race day, particularly because my, my brakes really don't react well to lots and lots of rain. Um, so yeah, I, everything just kind of came together well on the day I was traveling with, um, Pamela, who's another Canadian and it was sort of fun setting up our bikes together in the morning and, and things felt pretty relaxed around the transition zone. And, uh, the swim just went a little bit better than I expected. And the bike course was a lot of fun. I, I really liked the, the course was very different in the last 30 K, um, which, which made it quite interesting. It was sort of rolling highway and then it suddenly got into a lot of big climbing. Um, and, and I kind of thought that the climbing might help me out. So I was really focused on, on keeping contact as much as I could with the field until we got to that section and, and, looking forward to that section a bit, hoping that it would go well for me. And it, it did. Uh, and then I came into the transition much closer to the leaders than I'm used to. And uh, just uh, the, the run for me is always very by feel. I don't usually look at a watch or anything. And I had no idea, to be honest, that it was going really well, but, but it did. <laughs> I think we're like, we, we, neglected to mention you won you won which is incredible what did it feel like to win good like really good <laughs> but kind of like a like understated but really solid like pleasure and achieving something I've been working at for for a long time so um it was sort of a surprise like I I felt like I you know obviously that's been what I've been trying to do for a long time but for it to actually happen and, and finally kind of come together just it felt nice although at the finish it's always just good to finish as well I was excited to just be able to stop <laughs> and I couldn't help but notice we went back and forth a little bit before recording with your pictures um that New Hampshire really rolled out the red carpet for you literally for the finish line but also with <laughs> Miss New Hampshire was there holding the like finish line banner for you so I did get to see some of your finish line photos and I thought that was 
maybe uh, an extra surprise for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know who normally holds those banners at, at uh, cause I've, I'm never the first one across to see. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid I have no idea either, but there, there is a photo of me and Miss New Hampshire floating around somewhere <laughs> that, that I think she has. <laughs> Definitely a perk of winning a race that we, we just didn't even expect. But Tamara, you ran a 1.14 half marathon off the bike run split. This was seven minutes faster than the next closest competitor's run split, which was Jody Robertson, an incredible runner in her own right. She finished fourth. More than nine minutes faster than uh, Miranda Carfrey, who we know is coming off from maternity leave, but is known as one of the best runners in the sport. And, and this isn't the first time you've had the fastest run split. You also had the fastest run split in Boulder with 116. And, and I think, you know, there were some photos, I think you had maybe a knee injury going, coming into the season and you're running with a bandage around your knee. So can you tell us just a bit about your run and your run training and your run progression? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do have a knee injury that I'm, I'm still sort of rehabbing with, that's been gradually improving, but it has made this year quite tough and I'm still on a bit of a bare bones running program, although it's, it's slowly starting to build momentum, which is finally showing up in races, which is, which is nice. But I just, uh, I, I tore a quad muscle close to my knee in 2019. And for a whole bunch of reasons, it took us a long time to figure out what was going on. Uh, and then once that healed, I was still getting pain, which we thought was scar tissue in the area, but it turned out was some underlying uh, cartilage damage, but just very, very minor damage that could we had hoped would just be asymptomatic, but it hasn't been. And so we've been working through that, but it was a bit of a tough winter not being able to run for a few months. And then uh, the progression back has been a bit patchy where the knee will flare up and then be fine. And it's, it's just slowly flaring up less now, which is great, but that, uh, that tape on my knee is just to sort of hold the kneecap in a better position, which helps it out. Um, uh, but yeah, running has always been the strongest part of triathlon for me. That's where my background is. I used to be a, a track and field runner, uh, and I tend to bounce back from injuries quickly in terms of rebuilding run fitness. So, um, I felt hopeful through that whole process that things would start to go well relatively quickly once we could get back more consistency, but it's always a bit nerve wracking. Um, and yeah, I don't know what else. I, I work with one of my former teammates from the University of Toronto track team, Ethan Davenport puts together my, my run program and I just really trust his approach and he's been great sort of being creative around the knee issue as well this year. And so we mentioned so what's on your, on your mind. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to ask like during the run, when you're running these paces, are you just like, are you checking in with your knee? Are you thinking about things or are you just like, Oh, my training going into this is good. I don't feel pain. And I, I know one fourteen seems, you know, reasonable. I'm really not thinking about the overall pace. Like obviously in my workouts, I think a lot about pace and I'm sort of my watch is my training partner because I do a lot of my running on my own. But uh, especially recently, I just don't wear a, sp a smartwatch at all. And I'm just not worrying about the pace. I'm just sort of tuning into uh, assessing where like, what I can do to sort of maximize what my body can handle in any moment. So it's just very intuitive running, um, which I can't do in the same way for, for bike, for example, I, I use my computer a lot more, but for running, I just have uh, more of a background in it. And so it's, it's just sort of loosely tuning in with my body to try to, to push where I feel it can be. And and running lots of song lyrics through my head to try to distract myself from from trying to think too hard about anything. Because I, I find uh, I find if I focus in too deeply on any specific thought, it, that starts to trip me up. But if I just let my mind distract itself, the that that goes better for me. Do you remember what song was in your head during Timberman? <laughs> yeah, I do. I forget. Ugh, I forget what it's called. It's. Uh, uh, I forget the name of the song. It's like the main lyric is like set your soul on fire. It's a very uplifting, <laughs> uplifting one. 
I like I, it. I, yeah, I, I like am the queen of, I never know more than like the chorus of a song. So it's literally just like one line often I'll repeat to myself over and over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's basically four hours of like two lines of a song. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we mentioned Boulder 70.3, where you were racing two weeks prior to Timberman, ran into fifth place there, another world-class field. I always find that two-week gap between races to be pretty tricky to balance. So what was your approach to that? Did you focus more on recovery? Like, when did you start to sharpen up again? How did you work with that? Uh, it, it was actually a bit of a, like, rough stretch between those two races. Uh, we were a little bit aggressive in in building back up training after boulder uh particularly with the run you know obviously balancing recovery but also just feeling conscious that i've missed a lot of of run training this year and that we want to fit in um you know what we could without causing a setback uh in preparation for worlds coming up being sort of the bigger goal than timberman was but um I, i think the the build back to normal, it was almost like a build back to normal training for a weekend and then very slowly coming off that, but actually having a bit more mileage leading into Timberman than I normally would. And, and just the, the travel was a little bit difficult. So actually the first day I arrived in New Hampshire, I just slept for the entire day and was feeling pretty worried about how tired I felt. But um, by the time we got to race day, sort of those, uh, I guess I arrived on a Wednesday and just the, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, things came back together and I was feeling quite good by the time that we got to the race. And Tamara, you, you started your pro 70.3 career in 2019, I believe. And you, you started with a podium and in Buenos Aires, 70.3. And then I think you also had a fastest run split there. You came in fourth at Augusta 70.3 the same year. And it seemed like you were really poised to, to make a mark in 70.3 racing in 2020. So can you tell us a little bit about how you did end up spending your 2020 when we were not racing due to the pandemic? Yeah, 2020 ended up being a really good year in a strange way. Um, the at first it was just devastating that there it looked like there wouldn't be racing opportunities and it took me quite a while to adapt to that and and feel motivated again I I felt quite anxious and and was struggling a bit um with for a small period with some of my training efforts at, at the start but then um the ways that different parts of my triathlon life adapted were really kind of cool and and led to different networking and sort of connections than I might otherwise have had. And, and so on one of them was the iRace Laker girl, um, Zwift cycling team, which, which became a great network. And I, I got to know through that better some of the women who, who put that together, who I had done a training camp with early in 2020. Um, so that was really cool and was, was a lot of fun and kind of built momentum as the year went on. And then um, sort of the other thing was uh, that um, uh sort of spearheaded by uh, C3 Cross Training Club, which is a triathlon club in in Caledon, close to where I am. Uh, There were some modified format local races, and uh, that ended up meaning, I think, that I um, met more quickly and spent a bit more time with some Canadian pros and and particularly Ontario pros than I might otherwise have. And and that was sort of a cool connection and and a lot of of fun. Uh, So the two main races, there was a a very sort of like quickly put together uh, chase format race uh, where I raced against um, Cody Beals and Jackson Laundrie and Taylor Reed um, and Mikhail Stair Nathan and Andrew Bolton, who are all uh, pros based in Ontario, uh, with a, I had a 17 minute head start, I guess, which they calculated. They had kind of organized this race and I heard about it and I spoke up uh, about wanting to be included and have a race opportunity. And as soon as I did, they were really welcoming and I just left it to them to figure out whatever format they thought was fair. So that was all them coming up with calculations of what they thought the gap should be. And 
and stuff. But I, I ended up winning it to my big surprise. Uh, and uh, I beat them all on the run. So I had the fastest run split, which, which was fun. <laughs> uh, Jackson basically caught up to me on the bike and then I was able to open a, a gap again. Um, and uh, then uh, the PTO uh, sponsored a prize purse for sort of a Canadian pro triathlon championship, which was a mix of Canadian long course and uh, like ITU style triathlon uh, athletes. And there were 10 men and 10 women uh, and it was Olympic distance. And the, the main modification for some of these was we couldn't do a transition from swim to bike just because of the location of the swim and not being able to close roads. So we would like do the swim drive to the bike course, do the bike, and then uh, there'd be like a normal transition from bike to run. Um, but, but those ended up being a lot of fun uh, and, and made it kind of a special year in, in a strange way. Um, so it was frustrating in some ways and, and great in other ways. And at the start of the pandemic, you actually wrote an article for Triathlon Magazine Canada, which gave tips for managing the pandemic. And it included things like practicing extra compassion for yourself and others, focusing on relationships, taking control of the of your days with new routines that you're building and things like that. And so and you're also pretty open, like in other posts that you've made about struggling with injuries through your running career. And do you think like managing that the ups and downs of having injuries as you were an elite runner kind of gave you a leg up and being prepared to deal with the uncertainty of the pandemic year and kind of maybe not being able to race and, and finding your own opportunities within that? Yeah, I, I certainly think a lot of the psychology of dealing with the pandemic and of dealing with the types of injuries I had is similar. Um, almost all of my injuries were really chronic repetitive strain injuries that are really unpredictable and have unpredictable timelines that, that don't cooperate with what you would, would like them to be. And just the degree of uncertainty and trying to find ways to, to live in that uncertainty without being able to sort of pin your happiness on a clear moment when things would, would change for the better. Um, It's very, that felt very similar to me between those two things. And actually a lot of those tips that I came up with in that article are are based on um, sort of things that I have learned through dealing with chronic injury. And Tamara, I know you mentioned working with a run specific coach, but then I think Suzanne Zalazo, is that your like overall triathlon coach? Is that you have like a relationship with both of those? Can you tell us about how that works? Yeah. So Suzanne is awesome and, and really good at collaborating with people. And so uh, it's been a really nice partnership to work sort of mostly with her, but then be able to incorporate input from Ethan for the run. And I've just started working with Miguel Vidillo, who, who coaches with C3 uh, uh, on the swim. But Su- Suzanne kind of got me into triathlon. I knew her very peripherally through the University of Toronto run community. I think she ran with their master's group for a bit. And for some reason, at some point, I ended up doing some um, uh, like water running workouts with her. So I knew her a little bit. Uh, And then uh, my partner was actually looking for a triathlon coach. uh, And I connected them uh, and then eventually through one of my injuries, I approached Suzanne and asked her to put together a training plan for me for, uh, for swim and bike, because I, I had a stretch where I couldn't run for about 18 months. Um, so Suzanne is still kind of the mastermind of the overall program. And she really decides each day what the training will be. Uh, and then Ethan sort of th- puts in the content of run workouts based on what Suzanne has put out on a template. Um, and uh, that having Ethan involved was really comforting to me just because I, I know him well from the run community and I know his approach to, to running well. And um, that has been great. So Suzanne kind of has final say and, and then Ethan discusses with us what the, the actual run workout should be. Our listeners always love like specific workouts. And is there like a, a run workout that that you can share I think, yeah, the the template that was newest to me when Ethan started putting together sort of uh, like run workouts for longer distance, because I guess when I did track, it was, it was very like middle distance focused. So he does a lot of workouts 
that are uh, variations on like a longer interval, um, either around race pace or just or just quicker than race pace or just slower than race pace and then like a float interval that's shorter and and still sometimes a bit of a difficult pace to maintain so we did one together the other week uh that was sort of 12k of alternating 800 meters uh quicker than race pace 400 meters um like maybe 30 seconds per K slower than race pace. So the, the slower one being like a little bit of recovery, but, but not that much. And I, I, I've gotten better at those. I found them quite hard when I started doing them because I was used to just getting full rest in between each of my intervals, but they're very, um, I find them very confidence building when they start to go well. And so Suzanne also raced as a pro from 2009 to 2014, but she's also the former editor of triathlon Canada magazine and she's kind of, it sounds like a fixture of the sporting community around, around you. Um, you've also talked a little bit about how your mom has done some volunteer work with Safe Sport for Canadian Athletics. And so, you know, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, okay, that's like two really strong women in your network, right? That have helped kind of your development as an athlete. And like, you know, do you think that that has played a pivotal role for you as a female athlete kind of developing from university time through now, you know, top of the podium. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the switch to, uh, I mean, the switch to co- being coached by Suzanne was uh, a really good change for me, partly just because Suzanne is who she is, but having a female coach um, was a really nice change. And uh it's, it's easier to pinpoint the things about Suzanne than the things about having a female coach, but, but um, I, the way that my coaching was handled in the track world was um, very well-meaning, but, but often a little misguided or a little bit not fully understanding uh, my context. And I just find that, the way that Suzanne manages our relationship has been really empowering and um, uh, compassionate at the same time. And that's been great. I, I, I'm trying to think of a, a concrete example I can give, and I, it's a little hard to articulate some of my thoughts on this fully, but I guess one of them, which sounds like such a a stereotype. So it's a bit of a frustrating example to me in some ways, but um, I really struggled with eating disorders early in my track career. And um, I think that my coaches trying to deal with it at the time uh, did really mean well, but, but just made had comments that made things worse a lot of the time. And and I think it's tough because I was a very difficult person to deal with about that issue at the time. Um, But I think, you know, Suzanne, partly because of her own experiences, and I'm sure partly because of her experiences as a woman, just brings a bit of a different way of communicating to our relationship that, that I think is awesome. And uh, yeah, my, my mom is on the um, board of Athletics Ontario and, and doing a lot of great work there. And I, I really appreciate her involvement in sport. I think she's been a wonderful role model through the way that she's balanced her family life with a really tough career in corporate law and just uh, shown me that I don't have to make compromises about things like that in a way that I think is is really cool. She's always managed a, a career and, and family and goals and relationships in, in a really strong way. And I appreciate that as a role model. And touching a little bit on the communication around eating disorders, are there certain, you know, phrases and words that you you use now that help you manage a little bit better that, you know, those of us who are coaches or those our listeners who are coaches can uh, work to implement for our own athletes? Because we know this is not a unique issue. Yeah, I, I think um, the the 
oh, this is such a tough, the, the way that, so I think there are some things where I would just say like, stay away from commenting on, on weight and especially numbers around weight at all, if possible. Um, I, I can think of an example as a very young athlete where a coach completely not focused on weight, but just made a comment about an assumption about what my weight probably was kind of as a joke. And I really took to heart like, oh, shoot, like I'm actually not that light, but maybe I should be. And, and just being, being quite young and also being in that, that mindset, sometimes casual comments like that can, can in a bit of a a scary way have a, a big impact. But I think more, um, uh, more problematic than that was I, I did have some coaches who sort of expressed themselves in a way where health and running well were not deeply connected and their em- attempt to tell me that I needed to, to, you know, gain weight or do something else to be healthy was presented in a bit of a way as though it was, you know, it's important to be healthy. Um, but ugh, if only you didn't have to be healthy, you might run faster. And, and that was just such a, a false dichotomy. Like I, I have found, you know, obviously in, in trying to get to the bottom of some of my injury problems and what was going wrong in my run career, that health and athletic performance are completely connected. And it's not that it would be great if you didn't have to be healthy, but you should be healthy. <laughs> and then what about, you, you mentioned, we've talked a little bit about your running career, but I am a li- I wanted to hear a little bit more about that because as you mentioned you ran at the University of Toronto you made several national teams can you tell us a little bit more about your running career and which events you ran yeah um so I started running uh in elementary school I guess and I eventually ended up competing for the University of Toronto mostly in the uh, 1500 meter and 3k which is um, Canadian universities don't have an outdoor season so uh, we don't really have 5k's in university competition I was trying at the end of my running career to focus on the 5k uh, with plans to try to go after a spot on the Olympic team in 2016 and and that was really quite disrailed by injury I think I only ran four or five five Ks ever. Um, but I had some great results at the end of high school and, and did, uh, I guess in grade 12, I was eighth in the three K at, uh, the junior world track championships. And then, um, for UFT, I had a couple years, uh, where, uh, like I won the 1500 at the Canadian university um, track championship one year and was second in cross country and had had a good placing at world university games. And there were some glimmers of of great results. And then there were a lot of years where I I couldn't really compete for a full season or I I ended up, um, I guess for Canadian universities, you have five years of eligibility and those lasted like all of the way through law school and and stuff, just because I, I had a lot of years where I, I couldn't compete properly. So it was, um, quite an up and down track career with, uh, you know, like tantalizing glimmers of things going well, and then a lot of setbacks as well. And then when did triathlon come in? I'm imagining it was the swim and the run or bike came in when you were injured from running, but jumping from 5k, I, I think you went right into long distance triathlon and running a half marathon. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I thought that triathlons were shockingly long when I started them. And I I think, I guess I had done one or two road 10Ks, but at the time to me, that just seemed like excruciating. And so even like a sprint triathlon seemed very, very long. Uh, And I remember in my first half, uh, which was uh, in Muskoka, just like getting to 10K and kind of the run and being like, oh, I can't believe I can't stop. (laughs) What do you mean I have to do this again? But uh, but it all went went well. And um, at the time, I just really needed, I, I was quite frustrated with the injury history, but really not ready to give up on sport. And I, I had a year where I couldn't run for 18 months, was getting advice uh, know, along the lines that I never would be able to run again, which which a lot of athletes get and then are totally back to their sport. But it, it was 
tough. So I, I just needed something really different. And triathlon was a lot of fun um, in terms of a, a focus on different athletic abilities, which I had been a, just like only a runner basically since I was 12. Um, and so getting to learn new skills and just try something that, um, you know, I could still bring my strong running to, but, but had to go through a big learning curve uh, and it brought sort of other things into my life. It was, was great and really a breath of fresh air at the time. Right, because I think even after Rev Free Williamsburg this year, you you posted something where you said track and field will always have a special place in my heart, but I can't say I ever felt bubbly enthusiasm for the sport after race performance that I, I felt medium about. So what, which is, which is, it seems like you were insinuating that you did feel bubbly enthusiasm about triathlon. So like, what do you think about triathlon has brought out such excitement for you? I just think it's a lot more fun. I I really um, like, uh, well, I guess even like Timberman is an example. There was a track right beside where the race was in Timberman and I was kind of eyeing it being like, oh man, like I'm so glad I get to like swim around this lake and be on this beautiful bike course all day and just see more of the area than sort of sitting around the track all day. And like, I have lots of wonderful memories from, from track, but there's, I just love that there's a lot more going on in triathlon and each race you know even when it doesn't go well feels like like such an event and and I feel like um I I just have a lot more more fun doing them I I also really love swimming and did not love cycling when I started it but have come to love it so I, I think the moment uh where I realized that I I wasn't going to go back to just being a runner was actually just just like a random bike workout out on my TT bike and it just felt kind of epic to be out on a beautiful road on a TT bike and I was like oh never I don't think I can ever go back to just being a track athlete um so I really like that I, I think also triathlon makes me feel competent at, at more things I I've really enjoyed the learning experience and it's fun to be in a group of athletes who have a range of different strengths where there's always something that you can learn from someone so um even just the process of like starting out as a beginner with cycling or needing to totally change my, my swim technique. I feel like it's been satisfying to, to sort of work hard at expanding the range of, of things that I can do. I figured you must enjoy swimming because I did notice that you started to really embrace some cold open water swimming (laughs) training earlier this season. And I was like, uh, you have to really like something to be able to like, think about even doing some of those things. So while I hate to be the one to say summer is coming to an end, the leaves here in New Hampshire are starting to fall on the lawn out in front of me. So do you have any tips that you can share for the, or like things you've learned or things that you're doing now um, for our listeners to help them embrace their inner cold water swimmer as well? I think the most important thing is a really thick wetsuit at the end of the day. <laughs> um, I... It does, I found like it does get better. The more that you swim in cold water, you do actually adapt to it. I cannot say that I have been converted into a lover of cold water swimming. I was desperate in the spring not to lose pool access again. And I think that was my sort of like pandemic, like cracking moment. Like I would rather swim in four degrees Celsius water <laughs> than, <laughs> than deal with the fact that I don't have other water access right now. So um yeah, I I had, I don't know, a sense of humor, like finding good gear. The wetsuit was amazing. I bought like a surfing wetsuit and it's it's hard to swim in, but uh, it is amazing how much warmer it is. And I, I know I talked to some people who tried to swim in sort of like a swimming thermal wetsuit and that sounded tough. And, and I had some swims before I got the better wetsuit where I was coming out of the water. Like it was a little dangerous. I was like feeling like I was drunk, but then with the wetsuit, it was much better. I had Vaseline globs all over my face and, uh, um, definitely always someone spotting me, but, uh, there was a little bit of crying and a lot of laughing about the whole process. (laughs) Um, I really hope that I don't have to do it again, but I will if I have to. (laughs) 
Tamara, your Instagram bio says you're a, a part-time corporate tax lawyer and full-time triathlete. So our, our listeners are well aware that most professional triathletes are balancing additional jobs on the side. Uh, can you tell us about this balance for you? Um, yeah, I it started and the most intense period of it was when I was articling, which was in 2018, 2019. And I had a, a really good uh, I, I guess in the States, they, they don't have articling. In Canada, you have to do, it's almost like a like an internship for 10 months before you're fully qualified as a lawyer. And, and you do that uh, working with other lawyers. And I had a really good job offer at uh, a corporate firm in Toronto that I still work for um, that I didn't uh, want to, to give up and uh, but knew that it would be like, I think prior to being as, as involved in sport for, for my previous plan had been to um, sort of retire from track and then focus on this articling job. And I realized that I couldn't bear to retire from sport at that time. And, and I really couldn't bear to give up that opportunity with the articling job. So um, I realized I was just going to have to find a way to manage it. And Suzanne was really helpful in being creative about that because uh, she has also always balanced her athletic career uh, with, with other things. She has a, a postdoc in, um, uh, English and has done a lot of poetry writing and uh, teaching jobs alongside her um, uh, like coaching and, and her own participation in sports. So, so I really relied on her conviction that, that we could make it work. And uh, it, it was always a, a big game of time management Tetris, just the, the, job that I was at didn't have sort of clear boundaries around work hours so I could get sort of a call about something in the middle of the weekend and and it was um hard to juggle exactly when to put training in or know that training efforts would be protected so I did a lot of training very early uh in the morning because that tended to be when people weren't calling me for work or I just had a bit more control over that time and we would always have a bit of a like float day off in the week uh, as a pressure valve so that I could move around where rest day was a little bit in case something got busy on a day I didn't expect and it was sort of just juggling like that uh, and uh, was pretty exhausting but also did work um, and I was doing something similar to that sort of from October to May this year uh, but, but did end up deciding that that to improve my triathlon as much as I wanted to. I, I thought that it was too much of a tool to try to keep doing that exactly the way I had been doing. And so I'm working part-time now, uh, which, which has made a big difference and just given me a bit more control over what work I'm taking on when that just makes the planning a lot easier and also means that I can recover better. And was your firm pretty respectful of that decision and they were, they were okay with you going part-time? Yeah, they. I I wasn't sure whether they would be. They they are known for having a really good work culture, and they have been very supportive while I've been there. But I I did have some backup plans because I wasn't sure how that conversation would go. And um, it, it they've been great. They were very supportive of it. I think uh, it's still a bit of a process for us to sort out uh, sort of within their normal way of doing work where where they have to be very responsive to their clients at all times. It's, it's a little bit tricky to pin down um, exactly how to make part-time work. And it's not very common for a very junior associate to ask for a special arrangement like that, but they, they clearly really want to make it work. And they've been, been very friendly and encouraging about that, which I, I really deeply appreciate. I love that. And we love on the podcast sharing stories where, you know, it's been a successful like transition to a part-time situation or, you know, taking a break for a little while or something like that. Um, Cause I'm sure there are people listening who might have dreams and things they want to go after in sport or otherwise, and need kind of a push maybe to ask for that or have that conversation with their work. So thanks for sharing that. And I couldn't help but notice the occasional glimpse that you've posted of you on a mountain bike. And so I have to ask, the, pan the mountain bike was a pandemic project for me too, kind of getting off-road riding there. So do we think Xterra could be in your future or are you tunnel vision kind of racing on the roads for a while? 
given the state of my mountain biking, I think I will be focused on the roads for a while as far as racing goes. But um, my my partner, Chris, really loves mountain biking and, and he's he's getting back into some local races this year. He used to race mountain bike in, in high school. So um, it's really been a project to to be able to to join him for more of that and uh, sort of with the, the benefit of uh, working on just bike handling generally, which which gradually translates into the road. I think it's important for me because it's it's something that um, I have to work on having gotten into cycling late. But uh, Chris has done one Xterra in Ontario. There aren't a lot of them here anymore, but he had a lot of fun with it. Um, uh, but I kind of think maybe eventually my retirement from sport plan might be to do like try out some some small local mountain bike races or, or something like that. But it's uh, I think I just graduated this year from not being the slowest person in the forest. So it's a, it's still a work in progress, not not quite race ready there. <laughs> Tamara, we are just a few weeks away from Ironman 70.3 Worlds in St. George. I believe we were chatting before this. You actually qualified and took a slot for 70.3 Worlds that were supposed to happen in New Zealand last year. And so you are not only racing on a different continent, very different course. How are you feeling going into this, this world championship? Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think... Um... I think I'm still sort of turning my my mind to it properly or realizing it's finally coming up because it's been such a long wait, having expected this to be sort of in November 2020 and, and then refocusing on this year. But um, I was a little disappointed not to have a reason to go to New Zealand. Uh, but it, it sounds from everyone I've talked to who've been who's been there, like uh, St. George is absolutely beautiful um, and, and will be an, an equally wonderful setting. Um, but I, I'm excited that, that my knee is finally holding up and training has been going quite well. And I feel strong going into the race and um, excited to get more race experience and, and more experience against uh, high caliber fields. So it'll, it'll be, yeah, it's exciting. And if you still need a reason to go to New Zealand, there's always Challenge Wanaka and Ironman <laughs> New Zealand, which, you know, whenever, whenever you feel like stepping up to the Ironman distance, uh, I can sell you on both of those. So <laughs> they're, they'll always be there for you. And not like anyone should need a reason, I think, to really go explore New Zealand. Yeah, I'll definitely have to get there someday. <laughs> well, thank well, you thank so you much. Thank you so much. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Alyssa. My stupid internet. <laughs> thank you so much for bearing with us through uh, internet delays and things like that through this conversation, but um, sharing your story. Congratulations on the win at Timberman. Good luck with the build to 73.3 worlds, worlds. We will be cheering for you and we will definitely make sure to post to your Instagram so our listeners can follow along with us. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's, it's been really exciting to, to be on this podcast. I listen to it a lot. So it's cool to be interviewed for it and I appreciate the opportunity. The Iron Women podcast is grateful to Zelio Skincare for their continued support of the podcast. I'm always excited when I start pulling out the Zelio Sun Barrier more and more because that's a sure sign races are around the corner. And I'm going to be happier than ever using my Zelio's Race Relief Cold Therapy Muscle Gel because it means I actually got to do an in-person race this year. You can get your own Zelio Sun Barrier Race Relief Shower Products and Chamois Cream for 15% off with the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com. The Iron Women Podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. Haley, this conversation got me really excited for 70.3 Worlds. I have to say, I'm, I'm pretty psyched to see what's going to happen there.
I know by the time this episode comes out, we'll only have like a week and a half until the race day and which is on Saturday, September 18th now for men and women. But, uh, and next week, you know, I'm excited. Well, well, first I'm excited to see how Tamara does, because I think that that is a, as we mentioned in the intro, very interesting course. And it sounds like one that will suit her very well. And I'm also excited because next week we're going to be chatting with Emily Cox about our preview. So our preview show for how we think 70.3 worlds might play out. So hopefully everyone is excited to uh, geek out on that next Thursday ahead of that race. Always fun to talk with Emily and she gives really great insights. So I'm looking forward to that preview show as well. And thanks for Tamara to coming for coming on and chatting with us. Good luck at 70.3 worlds to her. Um, other, a couple other housekeeping things, Haley, we have the outspoken summit awards, uh, nominations are happening now through September 30th. People can head to outspokensummit.com. Put in your nominations for the women that you think need to be winning these awards. Um, it's really fun to to submit some of the nominations. So let's all put that on our to-do list this week and get that done. Um, and I said a couple housekeeping, so I didn't really have another one. But um, we'll say get some noon with the code stay feisty for 30% off at noonlife.com. And we'll say send us a mailbag question, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, Alyssa. I will talk to you next week. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.